Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cow Daily once again. Um, this will likely be the last show of this week. Um, what we're talking about today is mental health strategies, like managing mental health for uh, 2023 and beyond. Um, so if you want to get your comments in the comments box, obviously, let us know what your strategy is or what you are looking to do to improve yourself. Um, also, your reactions to what I'm I'm saying as well would be absolutely spot on. Um, before we do, though, in the time on a tradition, if you would like to watch this on YouTube, that's youtube.com forward slash cow daily. Um, we're just trying to get the channel monetized. We're in the final stretch, so it would be massively helpful. Um, really appreciate it too. Also, if you want to support our work, go to patreon.com forward slash cow daily. That's patreon.com forward slash cow daily. Also, PayPal link in the description if you prefer to make a one off donation via there. Also, you can do recurring ones there as well, I think. There is now if you've done it. Nice one. Uh, see who's in the comments. Bob Grady's in. Lockdown taught me the importance of outside space. Tell us about it, mate. Joanne's in as well. Nice to see you. You're saying your strategy is to hide. <laughs> that would probably be a strategy of many people, I would think. Right. Anyway, let's let's start this off. Um, mental health. For people who maybe are tuning in for the first time um, or haven't heard us talk about this before, I've talked about mental health quite a bit for a lot of years. Um, I have um, had series of trauma in my life over the last sort of 12, 13 years, like death violent death of people that I know, um, et cetera. And that had triggered off sort of anxiety and issues around anxiety and depression. Um, so I've been kind of piecing my way through that um, and trying to just improve and get better. So I'm going to like share some of the things that have worked for me. And I think that's the key to it, that work for me. Everybody's different. So I'm just sharing what I know to work for me. Um, but I'm really interested in what works for you. Also, also, I realized talking about mental health is a bloody minefield because, um, obviously, because everybody's different, but also because um, if you're having a mental health issue, quite often, especially if it's untreated, you don't want to be hearing somebody like me go on about it. So, what do people do? Project. <laughs> you don't know this, you don't know that. I'm not claiming to, but I tell you what, everything that I'm going to present you today is backed up. So, um, take it out with them. So, anyway. Mental health. What is mental health? So this is from the CDC in America. What is mental health? Mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make healthy choices. Now, I think that's this is a key within it. Um, some of the mental health discourse has traditionally been around... Um, it's just something we have to accept or, um, well, you can't help it. And it kind of toxifies that discourse a little bit, I've found personally. And also as well, when I was like have, having like really like deep mental health issues because of things that were going on at the time, it was almost like a way out not to do anything. And I think I wasted plenty of time in that discourse. So that's the asterisk next to everything. Um in that discourse, it's um, it's really counterproductive, in my opinion. 
Um, and especially if it's ha- happening online, that discussion, because you're always going to get people like steaming in who quite often don't know what they're talking about. Um, if you're trying to like sort of um, give advice or, or share what's worked for you. So it's just something to bear in mind. I think we need to change the way we talk about mental health and also um, change this discourse from it being like, especially around men, come on, guys, let's talk. Because the reality is, right, and people maybe don't want to hear this, right? People probably want to hear you for for the first bit. But mental health issues, particularly in this modern age, as we'll talk about later on in this show, um, tend to drag on for a while. After a while, people are going to get sick of hearing you, especially if they've never had mental health issues themselves. And that's just a sad like fact, right? Um, and something that I wanted to like express from the jump. Um, it's something that like I understand because people have a lack of understanding about mental health issues. They would just say, well, I spoke to you about that the other month. Why haven't you sorted that out? Um, recovery isn't a straight line. Um, it can go up and down and round and all of that. So um, try and understand when people are like what you think is mugging you off or don't want to hear it. Well, they don't. They don't want to hear it, and that's okay. You know, it takes a special person to stay the course the whole way with somebody who's got mental health issues. And um, yeah, it's a, it's 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 a hard thing to experience, but it's also quite hard to support people with mental health issues. Now, I found that out too. Um, people don't know that professionally. I'm a qualified counselor. Some of these might, um, but also. Obviously, I've supported people over the years personally with mental health issues, and it's bloody hard, man. It's a hard thing to do. Um, it's a hard thing to receive help as well when you, you're feeling that way. Like, I, I used to feel like people had an agenda. Sometimes people are just kind. You know, sometimes people literally just want to help you out. So, I, I mean, I don't want to just do the, the well-worn, like, guys, let's talk about mental health. Because quite often, it, that kind of shit just doesn't apply to a lot of us, you know? It's not reflective of the life that we're living. Like, for me, quite a lot of the sort of wellness movement and whatever, it seems to have been written by, like, middle-class people. Because um, if you're asking people who are in a shit situation to be mindful of the shit around them, um <laughs> everybody everybody um has a different distance to travel let's say like we do feel things right we all of us have a commonality in how we feel things but we also um feel things relatively um there's a big difference between like a bit embarrassed because your rents went up you can't pay it but embarrassingly you might have to say no to the second night out that week between the existential dread of your rent going up and thinking i can't pay this i might be homeless and i do see this you know i do see um the the distance between people and they just don't understand the difference between being temporarily embarrassed and existential dread it's weird like but you know quite often we talk about lived experience so we should try and be um like kind towards people who have legitimately got a good heart but they just don't have the lived experience that a lot of us do because the reason i bring this up one of my um issues has been like i've been 
I was ill for a long time, like physically. And that like was one of the traumas which led to the mental health issues that I had, like anxiety and depression. Um, also um, PTSD through all the repeated traumas, which seems to thankfully to have received it a lot, but it's because of the things that I've chosen to do. So anyway, onwards, let's go on. Let's see what else is to be said. So one of the things that I want to talk about, and I'm going to have to sort of dance around this a little bit, not from any um, personal sort of direct experience of abusing it to the level that I'm talking about, but it's such a taboo that you've got to watch what you say about this. So I'm going to do that, but at the same time, I'm going to talk about my lived experience. Look, I've lost um, people to alcoholism, to like death but also to the mental health issues that come from that. Um, so what that's led to is me personally deciding to abstain from alcohol. Now, the reason I put it like that is, is like, I don't know if I'll ever drink alcohol again. At the minute, it feels like maybe I won't, but maybe I will. But I think what it is, it's like I've been um, focused on my relationship with it as a result of what I've been through. So anyway, this is from mentalhealth.org.uk. Alcohol affects the part of your brain that controls inhibition, so you may feel relaxed, less anxious, and more confident after a drink. But these effects quickly wear off. The chemical changes in your brain can soon lead to more negative feelings, such as anger, depression, or anxiety, regardless of your mood. It's a key point. Um, if you're depressed, right? The first hour or two of drinking, it's a relief. It's like self-medication. And I've seen a lot of people, people that I'm aware of, let's say, do just that for many years, not just with alcohol, other things like cocaine. And it's horrendous, the impact that it has. Horrible. I wouldn't wish seeing these things on anybody and certainly not feeling and experiencing them. Um, one of the worst things that in my life, like seeing the impact that it's had on people that I love and continue to love, even if they're not in my life anymore, be that through death or otherwise, well, they're still alive. But at the same time, I've got to be, have a space to talk about how I've felt around these things. So what I'm doing, um, and it could be because it's fundamentally changed me as a person and how I live. Um, so here we are talking about it. So, uh, do I use alcohol as a coping mechanism? Um, although it's not uncommon to use alcohol to cope, it isn't a healthy coping strategy. Coping with alcohol can increase anxiety symptoms due to the constant pursuit of relaxation felt when buzzed. It causes disconnection between your mind, body, and spirit, which may leave you feeling more in pain than before. Um, absolutely spot on. And th there's times, right, where I have um, experienced... Uh, pouring alcohol on an already depressive situation because I've been peer pressured into a night out and thought, you know what, fuck it, I'll go and have this night out. And I realized how like unhealthy it was. Not only that the people who knew I was in the situation that I was were like peer pressure and isn't coming out. But also the the horrifying impact those times like had on my mental health because alcohol is a depressant. And it really fucking messes you up if you um 
feeling terrible, but also it can just over time mess you up anyway. Now, I'm not going to make this the alcohol podcast. I'm going to do that in the future and I'm going to bring some people on as well to talk about that. But I wanted to touch on it today. I'm having an absolute like life reevaluation right now, man. I'm saying that now it's like the second half of my life. 45 now hopefully I lived in 90 and beyond as long as I'm cognitively still aware and physically capable but um that's how I'm trying trying to frame this now this is the second half of my life this is me um staring at myself in the face and what I've found is that removing alcohol I feel like a little baby in certain situations like I realized that quite a few not by no means all but quite a few of the way, way I coped with social situations, social anxiety, was I'd have a few cans before I went out um, and then go out. And yeah, yeah, just really, really, really bad for, for me mental health, but not just in terms of the impact that alcohol directly was having on us um, in that moment because of the physical act of having it, but also how bad I felt and upset with myself I felt after the fact knowing that I was doing a bad thing but I took a temporary way out for a few hours I mean I, I after one of my pals died I went off on not like binge drinking I wasn't drinking every day but I was drinking every weekend I would work all week and then just basically go out on the drink I had a season ticket at Newcastle at the time so it would quite often go straight from a night out to the game and keep drinking so by the time you got a Sunday afternoon evening it was a terrible old scene i wasn't direct like directing um focus towards myself in terms of like how i was experiencing that bereavement and just putting it off with the drink and i see people doing that and drinking every day and putting all this stuff off what i found is right and i spoke about this it was just before christmas and it was partly why i had a, a longer break over christmas than i intended um, and that's good mental health management, by the way, because I, I can now see what I'm doing and try and intervene earlier. Um, I found that by doing like that, it just opened up the floodgates of emotion. Um, I also had a tolerance break from smoking weed as well. Um, and that um, also um, seemed to coincide with uh, this wave of emotion too. I'll talk about weed a bit later on. It's a, it's a very interesting um, topic, I think, when it's framed within mental health. And I'll speak from my own personal um, experiences with it. Um, alcohol, I have seen ruin so many good people's lives, remove their charisma from them and just hollow them out and turn them into a bit of a shell. And one of the things that will improve your mental health, just to move this on, into a more general thing is choosing who you have around you now this sounds like some of that weird like hustlers shit where it's like you're the sum total of the five people that are around you and all of this but there's some veracity to some of this stuff you know and i feel like i've spent a lot of my life carrying other people's problems and being taken for granted as a result of it and ultimately i'll be honest that like the way things went it made me like hate myself a little bit that I could be taken advantage of to that level. But I've come to a place of understanding to know that quite often it's the grip of the substances that people um, have wrapped around them 
But that doesn't debar the fact that they chose to do it and spread hate or spread bad vibes or just take good people for granted. But I feel like as I've got older, I have understood those interchanges and, and those relationships more. Um, and at first it it burned me inside because it felt like I was taking the piss. But at the same time, like, I've evolved into the fact that only I can allow that. Um, I always thought of that as some woo-woo shit, but it's really true, man. It's like, this is part of like the evolution and and trying to like mature and just getting substances out of the way. Well, alcohol and weed for a bit, basically. Um, and it's working. Um, I'm feeling a lot better in and of myself. So what else do we have up in here? So what does alcohol do to depress brain just before we move on to it? Alcohol can lower serotonin and norepinephrine. Have I said that right? Norepinephrine. I'm not going to try. But have a, have a look and read that for yourself. Norepinephrine levels, which can help regulate mood. Lower levels of these chemicals can make a depressed person more depressed. Alcohol temporarily cuts off the effects of stress hormones. This can exaggerate your depression symptoms because it depresses the brain and nervous system. I challenge you this. It's a direct challenge. Commit, right, to no alcohol for six months, right? Six months. Let us know. Set a reminder in your phone or whatever it is for six months and then send us a message and tell us how you got on. I'm challenging you now, and it's not one of these, like, dry January, sober October fucking things. Fuck all that. Like, give it six months. Anybody can knock it on the head for 30-odd days. I've seen people do it. It's people that I know, and they do it to, like, prove to themselves that they're not an alky or something. But they're just jonesing for a friggin' month, and they're smashing other shit down their necks. It's weird. But, like, that's their choices in life. We can make better choices to improve our mental health outcomes. I follow this, like, process called 1% Gains. And strangely enough, it's from, um, like, British Cycling. I used to do a bit of work with them in the past and whatever. And what it means is it's just, like, adding up all these different changes, 1% Gains. Ultimately, they'll make a big difference. So if you can add 10, 15, 20 different things, there's 20%. And what I've found is that if there's a line of depression and anxiety, it keeps us above that. But I have to do all of those things to stay maybe two, three, four, five steps above it. It's a constant process of like um, change. And at first, it's really hard because... Um, we burn these things called neural pathways, right? And that's how we like learn. And, um, you know, when we learn by rote, like by doing things over and over at first, it's like burning new ones is very hard and getting the rust off older ones and old and bringing new positive, old positive habits to the fall. It's really hard, but once you get past a certain amount of time, it becomes your new habits. Like, and you can retrain your brain into doing certain things. Now, I understand like that's easier for somebody who's living in a quiet area, who's got all of these other factors that like facilitate these things than it is for somebody living in a, in a flat on an estate where you're listening to somebody being banged out through, through the wall or domestic violence or this, that, and the third. I get it. I grew up in a place like that. And when I visit there, I hear that shit. So 
um, that might be one of the things for you. Change your living situation. Like I've done it and it's really, really helped. I've put a lot of things behind us like physically and um, especially in terms of triggers around bereavement, like just getting away from Newcastle. Um, for the most part, anyway, I'm backwards and forwards, but just having that break is just massive. And in this first bit, I might end up settling in Newcastle again in the future. I don't know, like full time anyway, but just having that diversity of life um, and getting away from like these things that remind us of like all this persistent trauma. I think the still you can't heal in the place that hurt you. And I agree. I really couldn't. Um, so anyway, therapy and counseling. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm a qualified counselor, but quite often we're absolutely great at helping other people, but really, really bad at helping ourselves. Um, I've found that in the past, but I'm getting better at it and applying the tools that I've learned through being on both sides of the desk, so to speak. I um, I'm, I thought, do I need to um, refresh a counseling or therapy process in 2023? Um, and I decided before Christmas when I wasn't feeling so great to... Um, Part, like park that up and think about it in the new year because what can you what can you do about it over the Christmas? I don't think I do, but that's because I've like had all the therapy in the past. I've self referred myself um, after most bereavements. Um, simple as that. If you're a crack, me, uh, I'm sitting on a big stool. My slippers about to fall off. Listen, there you go. Sorry about that. I just couldn't. I couldn't save it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been through a lot of therapy, self-referred after all, a lot of bereavements, and it's given us a lot of tools. So me personally, I don't feel like that's for me right now because I'm not really sure at this juncture what I would get out of it. But what I do have around us is good friends and good family, and this is a massively important thing. Try and have people around you who you trust. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Do you trust them or not? Now, if you've got friends who you don't, particularly trust or couldn't trust 100% at all times it's maybe time to reevaluate those friendships because that'll be a big 1% gain or more more than 1% over time it'll feel like more um if you do all of the other things as me the slipper away if you do all of the the things that um you feel that add up to these bigger gains to keep you above the line um Sometimes you can't help people, and sometimes they don't want you to, so you cannot run around doing that. And quite often, that can be if it's a repeated sort of helping behaviors thing, it quite often can be quite toxic. And it's, it's something that I realized that I did when I went through therapy was that I was doing all of this helping stuff because I wasn't brave enough, or whatever you want to call it, to focus on myself, like look at my own problems, look at like how. Um, I was in the world or in, in those kind of relationships with people. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to have been challenged by a really good therapist who I absolutely hated at first. And quite often they're the ones that'll help you most <laughs> because they'll be very direct. And, you know, I, I was really, really not liking it, but she was great. And I told her that in the last session and she, I thought she was going to cry. But thank you. I'll not mention your name, but thanks. You stuck with us. I'm a nightmare to be on the other side of the desk. I get it. My point is, 
therapy and counselling. I think we're past the taboo of that. Or at least I hope we are in most um, societies. And that's be- come from, like, come on, let's all talk and all of this stuff. But we need to evolve past this whole, like, let's all talk and look at the reasons, societal even, and we'll do that later, as to why people are depressed en masse. Um, because it is an absolute epidemic. Now, and I'm going to take that back. I want to count this in. I want to talk about um, stress. I want to talk about how that like physically manifested alongside like a dose of COVID and absolutely done us in for a year. So look away in five seconds if you don't want to see something horrible, which is the shingles on this that was on the side of my body. So there you go. Um, the one on the right is how it started and it continued like that. Now, apparently, um, it's from the research I've been doing, hugely linked to stress. And I was not practicing very good self-care leading up to this happening. Also, um, COVID infection, um, asymptomatic, we think, before that just lowered my immune system. So a combination of all the stress and that um, led a damaged immune system and, and all of this stuff coming up. Um, and that was a year out of my life where I just was absolutely rinsed. And I'll be honest with you, I was like pretty well suicidal for most of it because it was just in a long line of of trouble. Um, over 10 years, friend got murdered, friend committed suicide, um, other violent deaths, deaths from cancer. Um, three of me aunts and uncles died in the space of six months one year, whilst friends died in the same year too. Um, it was rotten and horrible and it led to a lot of uh, just physical problems too also within that period i had a spinal surgery and recovery from that also within that period as a self-employed person you can imagine like you might have a bit of money put aside but if this goes on longer than it was meant to go on which it did um you end up skinned and then all of the problems that come from that which is a massive one in society man like more and more if we kind of pay your bills like (laughs) It's a problem and it's gonna make you anxious and depressed. Just fucking fact, man. So anyway, one of the things that was taken away from me and like people who've uh, known us for a while or followed um, Milk the Cow for a while was know I was pretty synonymous with cycling. I'm a qualified cycling instructor um, and, and, and. I've done a lot of things in the world of cycling, but also um, it was the thing after my friend um, took his own life I threw myself into because I could put all the gear on and um, just put the costume on and get out the house because, like, at the point that point in time, I realised now I was a bit lost. And people would ask, "Are you all right?" Just generally, I'd be like, "No, I'm not," because I tell people the truth. So it was a kind of a problem. So with me, me bike, I could get on it and I could ride, and I'd have the glasses on, the helmet, all the gear, and nobody really knew it was me, and I could just get on with it and whatever. Now that ultimately became a form of self-harm because I ended up going too far the other way and doing it to extremes. So what that then led to was a spinal surgery, which put us out until, well, I've done little bits and bobs, but seriously, this week, right, um, I've rode 20 kilometers a day for for four days in a row, um, 20 kilometers or more, one of them was a 30, um, over four days. Now, compared to what I used to do, that's nothing. But 
for now, right? With after surgery and all the illnesses that I've had, Jesus Christ, it just feels amazing. I'm gonna after this going out with my bike as well. Because a lot of it's about schedulizing these things. I schedulize exercise into my day and week and month the same way I schedulize doing cow daily and other things. Like I do a lot of this stuff in the morning and other work stuff in the afternoon, but I pick a point in the day where the weather's decent, da da da, and I prioritize exercise because without that, without the increase in serotonin and dopamine and the pleasure chemicals, but also balancing it properly and not going too far the other way I've learned is a real like foundation for great mental health, man. Like if alcohol stimulates like your reward system in a negative way, exercise done in balance is just, it's a game changer, man. And I missed cycling a hell of a lot, like when I was laid up for all these years, because just general exercise too, because um, it's one way I know that I can be happy. Like the other day, for example, it was just like heavy energy around the house. I've got a lot going on, which I'm not going to talk about. Um, just with the dogs now, they're just old and there's a lot going on. We might lose them. And I'm not going to, but you get what I mean. It's heavy. So in the past, I, could, I just had to sit there in it. Like I couldn't even barely walk, you know what I mean? And But now I can just get on the bike and just like twiddle around. I'm not trying to win any races, I know. And I just love it for, for cycling's sake. And it, it, it really does make me soul sing. And whatever it is for you, whatever you feel like you could choose, even if it's just a way to get out of the house in the first instant, getting on a costume and just moving, please, man, move your body. It's so important, like, you know, healthy body, healthy mind is a bit hackneyed and whatever, but it's bloody true. So please do. Anyway, we'll take some comments. Been talking quite a while. God, I'm going to talk a bit more as well, actually, but um, a few other things I want to talk about. What we got? What we got? Um, GC, not, no, not that one. Main point is, like you said, once those neural pathways have been reworked, undoing them is incredibly difficult. And she's surrounded by people without all issues, me and the kids far away. Sorry, I missed the first bit, but I assume further up the thread, she's were talking about, um, talking about like some personal stuff, but quite right. Neural pathways um, have been reworked. Undoing them is incredibly difficult. And it's just the first bit that's incredibly hard. But if we push through that and, and we really need adversity, but in a positive way where we feel like we're control, like and push our way out of it as humans, adversity is so important and i think um avoidance of that is a real problem um and this is the thing i think adversity on a societal level is here for millions more people than it's ever been but we've also got millions more people unable to cope with adversity and that is a massive problem let's see what else <laughs> strangely enough listen to this Michael Sheldon, avoidance of stress is basically impossible, but coping strategies with stress is not impossible. Thanks for putting what I've just said into a sentence, Michael. That's like a really much more, um, much much greater way of doing it. I appreciate that, man. So what else do we have further up? Uh, Jacqueline Hemmings is in the house. Hello, mate. My uncle was a heavy drinker, and after a bout of jaundice was told that if he had another drink, that it would kill him, and he couldn't stop. In fact, the news seemed to make him drink more. 
you can do that. It's weird, alcoholism, because quite often people are self-medicating and they're doing that avoidance of stress thing, which um, Michael just mentioned there in the comments. And they're never going to be able to do it, as Michael says as well. It's never, You're never going to avoid it. You've got to ultimately, at certain points in your life, face what's assailing you head on. And that's sometimes the most hard things that we'll ever do. But I come, I've seen what you described, Jacqueline. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I, it just it's so, it feels so desperate, doesn't it? It, it? Especially when it's somebody you love deeply. Um, yeah, it's just awful. And like, I, I can relate. I understand, mate. So I didn't feel alone with that. Right. So let's move things on a little bit and see what else we have. What do we have here? Sugar. This is a thing, right? And it links with alcohol as well. Um, one of the things that I've done over the last year, right, is um, I've lost over 50 pounds, so about four stone. So I'm back down to the weight I was without cycling um, when I was, like, like, do, like, at a high level of cycling. I just don't have the bike fitness and cardio yet. But what I, what I did was I lost a lot of weight by doing something called intermittent fasting, which I'll talk about later. All of these things, please talk to your doctors first before um, doing any of this stuff. But what I, am, what I found with sugar, but I'll read this first. Can sugar affect mental health? Multiple studies have found a link between diets high in sugar and depression. Overconsumption of, of sugar triggers imbalances in certain brain chemicals. These imbalances <coughs> excuse me, can lead to depression and may even increase the long-term risk of development of mental health disorder in some people. That's from healthline.com. A lot of people don't know this, right, about sugar. Sugar, I can speak from personal experience. I, over time, weaned myself off it and got to the point where I was just having like natural sugars from um, like fruit and things like that. <laughs> like even at that point, and I, this is how I realized like how like all this added sugar and food is the devil. Like I would eat like a piece of fruit, right? When I had like virtually no sugar, to sugar tolerance in my system and I would feel high. Like I've experienced in the last few months, like a really like balanced, like um, sort of insulin resistance, I suppose is what the best way of talking about it. And I'm pretty convinced when I was 221 pounds, uh, my highest that I weighed anyway, that I was like sort of um, pre-diabetic or whatever. I was just eating ridiculous, not exercising, depressed, um, didn't couldn't move, was in a lot of pain from surgery and just general anxiety and stress. But I I just one day just went sod this. I need to take action, so I did. Um, so I started with intermittent fasting. Um, but more on sugar before we get on to intermittent fasting. So sugar has also been linked to depression, mood swings, and symptoms of anxiety. The initial energy boost gained from eating sugar keeps many people craving sugary foods and drinks. However, once the energy boost has peaked, blood sugar levels drop quickly. This leads to lethargy, low mood, and further cravings. Completely. Do you want to know how I know? Because I'm experiencing it right now. All I've said there was like Christmas, sod it. Oh, man, pass the Toblerone, you know? Honestly, I made a right pig of myself, weighed myself right um, yesterday, finally plucked up the courage, put on three quarters of a stone um, just over Christmas. And um, yeah, just straight back on the intermittent fasting bit. But I'm in the headaches phase and the sugar withdrawal and it's horrible. 
sugar is just so addictive man and in terms of my mood and how it spikes my need for food and all of that oh god i just i wish i hadn't done it at christmas because of how i feel but i'm pleased that i have because it's a reminder of like living a foul life like in terms of the nutrition and everything that we do it does lead to bad mental health outcomes these are one of the one percent gains or more even that can lead to keeping us above that line keeping us like four five six percent above the line but having to do 20 to get there but honestly i'm telling you if i can do it me if I can do it, you can do it. Like, I'm not better or worse than you. I just decided one day I'd had enough, like. So anyway, what else? Where else for years? Right, weed. Here's the, here's the thing with weed. I smoke weed, right? But I'll tell you what it is. I wouldn't smoke weed at all. And sometimes I don't. I have tolerance breaks all the time. Um... I smoke weed in a specific kind of it called sativa um, because for me, it melts away anxiety. And then that gives me an edge that particular time to get past um, maybe it's a day where things are on top or whatever. Um, I don't necessarily use it as a replacement for alcohol, even though it does have a recreational benefit. I mean, who doesn't like to laugh? But um, the problem in the UK, right, is that supply chain dominance by albanian gangs is a real problem i mean in ireland too um this is from the irish examiner so what it says is unsuspecting cannabis users warned of toxic synthetic versions of the drug unsuspecting cannabis users are buying um weed being sprayed with toxic synthetic versions posing greater health risks weed in the uk now right is absolutely adulterated like I, you couldn't pay us to smoke a lot of this mass-produced stuff. And if I didn't didn't know where I was getting it from, then I, I wouldn't touch it at all. There wouldn't be um, a mental health or general like sense of well-being, like put net gain by smoking that shit. Like they're spraying liquid spice on weed because what it does is it makes it way more. It's like a synthetic solvent. The way it sits and it looks like THC crystals on the bud. So when it's weird, it's like, ah, oh, sound, but it's also addictive because here's the problem with prohibition. You do have these criminal gangs. Supply chain dominance in the UK is by Albanian gangs, and um, they do use these illegal trafficking networks to uh, bring people in. But it is a small percentage, but yet a one... I mean, look in local newspapers around the UK, you'll see so many of these different instances. And we need to be able to talk about things without fear or favor. So this is what we're doing. It's had a real impact on the weed scene. And uh, I may or may not know people in the weed scene. And it's frightening for a lot of people because these gangs that don't, it's like the weed scene in the UK was relatively nonviolent for a long time. And now it's not. So what it's doing is, is it's obviously putting like just general people in contact with criminals and stuff. And obviously we need to like legalize it, blah, blah, blah. That's all been talked about before. For me personally, right, if I know exactly what I'm getting and I'm fortunate that I do, then sativa melts anxiety for me. But you can go and get it um, yourself. Oh, and I'll, I'll just pull this up here. And this is from vice.com. You can get weed legally in the UK for anxiety. So I tried it. 
Um, tired of my panic attacks, I decided to see how easy it was to get a prescription for medical weed in Britain. Um, I know a few people who went through Sapphire Medical. It's sapphireclinics.com. Um, so, yeah, go check them out. I think they're based in Sunland, actually, strangely enough, for the Northeast Gang. But um, if you go on their website, you can um, apply for medical treatment and they'll just post it through your door. Um, I think quite often, if it's anxiety and depression, at least, you have to have, like, uh, you've got to be able to demonstrate you've been through other uh, treatments. That's all perfectly legal in the UK. Um, there's a few clinics like Sapphire. Um, get in touch with them if, if you feel it's going to be a net gain in your life. Quite often, um, people will vape it, so it's like much better for your health. And yeah, just it works for me. It works in the opposite way to alcohol. But I think we need to be getting away from like um, putting alcohol and weed in the same category they're not even in the same universe like but it does have a recreational application doesn't it but look at it this way right if you took away the names of these things and just put the characteristics of the different drugs because they're both drugs on like alcohol on one side of a4 weed on the other and you give no indication of what they are which one do you think would be more likely to be legal in 2023 nobody's legalizing alcohol other but there we go so there you go i feel like i have to justify like smoking weed sometimes but there it is i don't i don't drink now um i don't have a smoke i might have a drink in the future but right now it's really bad it's just bad for us i've like last time i had listen i had no tolerance to drink right and it might have just been the sugar at the time i don't know I had a sip of a glass of wine like a month ago, just telling in my mouth how I felt. And it just felt like bad vibes. And that might just be down at what I've seen and how the impact that that's had on people that I love. But whatever it is, I know bad vibes when I feel it. And I just spat it out. Weird, eh? I used to love a drink. Or did I? Did I really? I used to love um, glossing over my social anxiety problems and temporarily feeling all right until the next morning. It's probably more accurate, really, isn't it? Right, so this is really key in what I want to end this particular show with. This is from Psychology Today, Mark Rigo, MD of Modern World, Modern Mind. Um, he's titled this The One Crisis That Causes Them All, How Modern Life Damages Mental Health and How to Prevent It. Now, this is an excerpt from the article I want to share with you. Until the last 100 years or so, we lived in groups, tribes, bands, neighborhoods, families, whatever we called it. We were not alone. Groups gave us both social connections and a culture with all its teachings. Even if you left the group, you had learned or at least seen quite a bit how to cook and clean up, argue and give in, become a friend, love a partner, fix trade and buy things, eat, rest, believe, worship or go it alone, raise a child, get sick and better, work hard or not, be the person you want to be. All of this was done in particular ways within a network of friends and family. So I thought that was really like key. And it kind of ties in with yesterday's show around Andrew Tate. People like Andrew Tate know this and see how atomized people have been and see how like sort of lonely. We need community. We need we need it. Like I get so much from the Milter Cow community. Don't think it's just a one-way thing. Far from it, man. I learned so much from you. I gained so much from the kindness that showed it was. Quite honestly, at times in my life, I think um, my chances of staying alive would have been um, far less if I wasn't part of this community just like you. So 
I want, firstly want to thank you for letting me be part of your community. This isn't just this isn't mine. It's just mine. It's it's we're all in this together, man. And yeah, I just really appreciate the the way I feel held at times when I'm. I'll be honest about things like this, and people um, don't make us feel weird about it. And it's allowed us to build my confidence to a level where I really don't give that much of a fuck what people think anymore. And that's part of the second half of my life. That's because in the first half, I, I, being honest, I think I did. No, well, I don't think I did. I absolutely did. Well, trying to be all like, oh, I don't care what you think. But turns out um, life taught us that I did. And it's also like taught us that I can change and that's all right. So, yeah, I think going forward, um, I realize how important community is and I always have, but like I think especially in these times and I think we need to pull together, all of us, because it's going to get worse in society. All of those things that I've just read out there, they're not getting better unless we intervene. And we can do that individually as part of a community and then put that out into a bigger community, i.e. the world. So I'm interested in your ideas. Like, what can we do together as individuals to positively help and impact? Now, I'm thinking we could use the Discord server in some way because a lot of the stuff is um, very private. Um, we could have... Uh, like this is StreamYard I use for this and I can send people private links and we could have like monthly drop in online. I don't, I don't know, but like you tell me, but I really feel like we need to be doing something here. So yeah, let's come up with some ideas together as a community and just get in touch. Um, inbox is always open too. If you listen to this on the playback, um, before we go, though, I just want to like introduce you to a few things that have really helped. This is from a guy called uh, Huberman, Andrew D. Huberman, PhD. He's a professor at Stanford. Um, I'm trying these things that he's going on about, right? Um, and what I like about this guy is it's all scientific. There's no woo-woo stuff attached to it whatsoever. So what Huberman's saying is try starting the day post-sunlight viewing. So what he means by post-sunlight viewing, I'll talk about in a minute. With one to three minutes of uncomfortably cold yet safe water exposure, shower or immersion to the neck. The research supports benefits are significant and long-lasting elevations in dopamine and adrenaline and thereby elevate mood, alertness and focus. I tried this for a bit and shouts to Duncan Paler and the ice guys and all of that. And the Northeast, they're like leading the charge on this one. I like last summer I did this in um, rivers. <laughs> it really does work, man. It really does. It's like a reset completely. Uh, get in and up to your neck and do it as long as you can stand. Um, but at the same time, it was hot. I only did it on hot days. I see the uh, people doing the like the open water swimming and that now year round. So it's something I've got to build up to, but totally, totally works. Totally does stimulate the dopamine reward system, um, which, and I have seen this quite a lot actually. There's um, like support groups like for alcohol and whatever. They've started linking up with these open water swimmer people and going. Um, and doing this and it's apparently having some really great um outcomes like positive outcomes so something to bear in mind really isn't it other things right so sleep this is huberman too and this has been a game changer for me getting the right amount of sleep right but also 
the right bedtime. So listen to this, this Huberman. Getting sufficient amounts of quality sleep per night is critical to mental health, physical health, and performance. People vary in their total sleep needs. Some people only need six hours. Other people need seven or eight. And there are, of course, people out there who do just fine on four or that need nine to 10 hours. But in general, six to eight hours is right. The exception is babies, kids, and teens, and those battling illness or injury who need a lot more sleep. However, an often overlooked feature of sleep is the regular timing of sleep. Growth hormone release that normally peaks in the first 90 minutes of sleep will not occur if you go to sleep two hours late. Missing that peak every once in a while is fine, but we should all strive to get regular sleep times, and that means to bed times. And when we wake up, growth hormone is involved in tissue repair. And that includes brain tissue as well as being crucial for metabolism and recovery from injury and exercise. And it's related to longevity too. Sleep. Sleep hygiene, it's called, right? I started focusing on that last year, man. Seriously. Like, I was always a bit of a, like, too cool for school, night, I'm just a night owl. Turns out I'm not. I'm an early bird, and I love it. And that's one of the things about, like, second half of my life changed. Like, once I started, like, putting in um, regular sleep hygiene, like, the time I go to sleep and the amount that I do, I just have, like, a much better life. Um, mental health, um, you know that line I'm talking about? Talk about, like, moving you up 10%. You're getting like all those 1% in one thing, 10% or more. Seriously, sleep hygiene, the one, the absolute one. And if you're getting into a routine with that man, you're just dancing. Absolutely and utterly a game changer for me. Um, and over Christmas, I fell off. And also, I have a problem as well. We've got ill dogs at the minute, and we've got them in the room with her. And uh, it's breaking me sleep a little bit at the minute. Like last night, but. My partner, um, the other night, my partner went and stayed at our, our parents' house with the dogs just so I could have some sleep because I'd, I'd been up every night for three nights with them and I was done. So thanks for that, Don. I feel a lot better for it. Right. Um, Huberman, get your sleep and daytime energy right. Get sunlight in your eyes as early in your day as possible, especially on cloudy days. Extra time outside if you wake up late. Sunglasses off if you safely can Eyeglasses and contacts are fine. Lights bright by day, dim off at night. What he's talking about here is literally going out and just getting like um, daylight, like uh, like upon you. Obviously, don't stare right into the sun or anything like that. But remember, he's a Stanford professor. This isn't all like woo woo, stare at the sun and all that. This shit works, and I've started doing it recently. And it's 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 something about like getting outside as early as possible in the daylight and just getting that in within you. Five to ten minutes of actual sunlight, but if it's overcast, like mostly is in the UK, especially in the north, um, 20, 30 minutes, that can involve just getting yourself up for a walk. Like, I'll walk the dog and get it that way. Um, it's whatever it is for you, really, but it really does elevate your mood. It really helps. And remember, he's a professor at Stanford. This is not woo. Right, what else have we got from this guy? Do-do-do. Right. What he's saying, just because it's overcast does not mean the sun isn't out. To set your circadian rhythm for improved daytime mood and alertness and deeper sleep, get outside without sunglasses in the morning for 20 to 30 minutes if overcast, 5 to 10 minutes if clear out, eyeglasses and contacts are okay. Honestly, do it, man. Like, do it. It works. Simple as that. That's working for you. So, um, yeah, I wanted to just touch on intermittent fasting. Now, 
there's not, I'm not going to tell you about the science of it and all that because there's plenty of stuff out there. Intermittent fasting, especially with helping us like reduce the sugar to almost zero was a game changer. What it means is I start eating at 12 o'clock um, and I finish eating at eight o'clock. So all of my calories for that day are within that. Um, at first, I'll just eat what I normally would have done, you know, when you're kind of changing your blood sugars and whatever. Um, and then over time, I'm removing the sugars, I'm eating healthier, I'm getting to a point where at, at one point, I would honestly, right, one meal a day and a snack, and that was me feeling full. Because quite a lot, I've found a lot of the reasons why I still feel hungry, and I'm definitely finding that last night where I was craving food, and I was like, I've just eaten my meal. Like, what's going on? It was because of all the Toblerone and crap that I ate over Christmas. I'm addicted to sugar, fully addicted to sugar. So I just want to leave it there. Please, before you do any of this, speak to your GP or medical staff. Um, do not take this as like things that you should do. These are things that have worked for me. Um, always seek medical advice. But um, this is the best I've felt going into two, like a new year ever. Um, in the sense of like I didn't drink over Christmas. Um, I've started off. Um, in a relatively decent place. I am craving sugar and addicted to it, but that's my fault. And, and I have the tools to get out of it because I think a lot of the issues that we face, it's about control. And when I, when I felt out of control, when mates were murdered or I had a spinal surgery or whatever trauma it was, trying to desperately scrabble and get control again would lead me to drink because it made, it made us feel a certain way or whatever. This time now, going into the second half of my life, I'm stripping all of that away. And I'm facing myself more and more again. And a lot of I like what I see, but some of it I don't. And I'm changing that. And I think that's what it is, man. Like we're a lot of stuff out there in society and otherwise it's out with our control. But here's what we can do. Build community, right? Build things outside of that whole grid of control and what they want us to do and those things can make us happier build institutions like build media institutions for truth political parties it's time we got active and took control of our own hope i'll take a few comments before we get off right so um let me scroll back dude here Liz Bet in the house. Nice to see you, mate. We've stopped drinking this month. My weight has piled on as I'm agoraphobic, suffer with anxiety, also depression to varying degrees. It's my normal, normal to be honest. Been having aura migraines. Oh, they're nasty, man. And I wonder if it's sugar withdrawal from stopping drinking, to be honest. Also feel like pure shite, but I know it'll pass. Yeah, yeah, I've got something for you, right? I used to get terrible migraines, right? When I got into the whole intermittent fasting thing, um, at first, the sugar withdrawals and whatever were a nightmare. It almost made us go back to what I used to do, but push through it. I'd be really interested to see, obviously, once you've took medical advice, how um, you feel once you've got rid of the sugar. Like, seriously, like what impact it has, because the impacts these things had on me were huge, man, Liz. So I please uh, let me know if anybody does do anything with their, this. Um, how you get on? That would be absolutely belter, right? Um, see any more? Bob's saying because I have a prescription, I'd still fail a drug test, but now I have a reason get out of jail free. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Right. What else we got? 
Michael Sheldon is saying, come on, Screamyard. Hoopman is good. A few grifters have tried to pick up on his stuff and put an agenda on it, but his stuff is very well grounded in evidence-based approaches. Exactly. There will be people who cherry-pick some of these things, but um, he's absolutely solid. PhD, Stanford University professor. Absolutely, like, he evidentially lays out why these things are good. His podcast is amazing, so go and check out the Huberman Labs podcast, I think it's called. Um, tremendous, tremendous stuff. Um, thanks, everybody, for all your comments and everything and, and sticking around. Um, it's been really nice, and it's nice to uh, be back. As I said, um, I had to think about it the day, and I was like, do I need to do another show tomorrow? And I was like, it's the first week back. Don't overdo it. And this is me changing. So, um, yeah, I'll be doing the edit on this and putting it out for Spotify and Apple Podcasts people, also um, with the YouTube upload as well. Um, please do comment, rate, and subscribe. Please help me to rise up the charts. We're hit back in the top 40 again on uh, the podcast charts yesterday. Absolutely buzzing. And when so close to getting the YouTube channel monetized. Thank you so much for all the support that you've given to get to that point because there's less than 1% of the channels get monetized, you know, and without you turning up every day um, and also sharing the work and everything that you are doing, we wouldn't be anywhere close. So big up your bad selves. Appreciate his man. Um, just all the love in the world for his, actually. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, before we go, also, patreon.com forward slash cow daily. Get involved. Be really um, appreciative of you supporting the work and ensuring that we can carry on and keep going and seeing the progress. So, patreon.com forward slash cow daily. Also, if you want to make a one off contribution to our work, PayPal link in description. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being here. And I will see you next week, Monday, 12 o'clock cracking it off i think we're going to start adding guests as well and as i said before the christmas we're not going to announce them and do this whole promo thing just turn up every day you might see jeremy corbin one day you might not you might see that's how it's going to go over this year we're just going to pop up with them stuff and 12 o'clock cow daily every weekday some stuff at the weekends but you know let's try and balance things nicely all the best comment and subscribe Bow, 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 etc. Do all them YouTube hand sign things. Say yeah.